because CEOs at the early stage are really just in knife fights. You know, they're in a phone booth and they're just having this knife fight in a phone booth and they're just trying to get through the day. So I think it's really important for CEOs to be able to kind of look at the macro picture of what their company is, what they want their company to be. And that helps them develop those vision statements and the mission. Welcome everyone to Tech by Design, where the Richmond Technology Council takes you to the edge for trending tech and innovation here in Richmond, Virginia. I'm Nick Surface, CEO of RVA Tech, along with Alex Satanias, CEO of Shaco. Come join us. We are joined today by Dustin Dunbar. He's an investment associate over at the Virginia Innovation Partnership Corporation, VIPC. Um, so over there, Dustin works with high growth startups just across the Commonwealth, um, getting them up and running and ready to conquer the world. Um, so Dustin, we are really excited to have you on today. You want to start by just kind of filling us in more on, on what you do and, and what you guys do over there? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the introduction, Lauren. So yes, investment associate. Our equity investment team is Virginia Venture Partners within VIPC. Essentially, what we do is we invest at the pre-seed and seed stage uh, levels of tech companies based here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Our requirements really are that they are scalable businesses. So we've actually expanded our portfolio from tech-focused companies, um, you know, software as a service or even deep tech companies to actual consumer packaged goods. Uh, so we've invested in some CPG companies here in Virginia. And the other requirement is that the company has to be based here in Virginia. So, you know, typically pre-seed, seed stage, we're talking pre-revenue, post-revenue, um, ready to kind of hit the market with the, with the viable products. And typically our check sizes are between $200,000 to 1 million. That sums it up. Thanks, Justin. That's a good intro. You, just to set the foundation, you all are a government authority. Is that correct? Yes. Is that how you're structured? Yeah, so we are, okay. best way to describe it is a state-owned nonprofit. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about some of these investments y'all are making. Um, and mm -hmm. if we could, we'd love to try to target to uh, some of the companies here in Richmond that might be doing cool things. And we'll start high level. What are maybe one or two companies here in Richmond you all have invested in recently that um, is either creating a lot of buzz or that you all are most excited about? Uh, so Brandify is a company that we're really excited about. Uh, I think Meg is just absolutely crushing it. Yeah, we've talked about them on this podcast. Yeah, I, I we're really excited to see how that goes. I think that it's a really good demonstration of a company and a founder finding the gap in the market and then trying to create arbitrage around that and closing the gap. And we're really excited to see where she goes with it. So I think that's a really, really interesting company. Another company that we're kind of really excited to that we just finished uh, closing with is Warehouse. Um, they're looking, you know, essentially creating micro warehousing for supply and logistics companies. Uh, so we're interested to see what happens with that, especially kind of with the freight market being what it is today with the supply chain being what it is today really kind of excited to see them try to close that gap you know especially with surges that we see within amazon delivery a lot of these larger companies trying to create a larger inventory um, so that that's not just just in time but that there's actual um i guess replication of their inventory so that when we run into these supply chain issues that they can continue to meet them. So Dustin, you're probably seeing a lot of different applications and, and things coming through, a lot of different companies you know, that you fund mm -hmm. and that you don't. In the tech space, are you seeing certain trends? Are you starting to see a lot of, 
I'm sure you're seeing AI used in descriptions and in, you know, uh, pitches all the time, yeah. but what are you seeing as in the trend of companies coming across your desk? Yeah. So Nick, I mean, you know, first things first, AI is just all the buzz right now, right? It every was, company is an AI company all of a sudden. Yeah. Every company is an AI company. Uh, last year, every company was a web three company, yep. right? So it's always kind of, uh, those situations, which is what was the, the new trend, right? So I think AI, being what it is, uh, the machine learning, large language models, what we're seeing a lot is companies trying to create FOMO around AI. But truth be told, we're pretty skeptical, not of AI itself, but skeptical of how someone builds a business model around the use of AI. So that's really kind of what we wanted to like dig into with companies is what are they doing with the AI? Are they creating their own language model? Or are they creating a business model on how to use it? Um, and so I think a really good uh, company that we, we're interested in, um, we haven't, you know, we're still kind of working through some due diligence with them is Grantable. You know, Grantable is trying to use AI to kind of help nonprofits do their grant writing. So that's a really interesting business model. Um, and I think they've got something there. So we're kind of interested to kind of keep exploring that relationship. I'm kind of refreshed to hear you actually say that because um, kind of just plus one to what you said, I think there's certainly a lot of powerful applications um, with AI. We're certainly maybe just on the doorstep of what it can really do. But at the same time, you know, when something gets hot and sexy, everybody starts starts jumping on it as a business model. And, you know, maybe there's some applications to a lot of these businesses, but to have businesses yeah. be core AI companies, it's just every business isn't a core AI company. Yeah. No, I would agree. I, it's best way to describe it is, you know, it's kind of like the dot com. Every company was a website, right? So it's just, it, it's kind of, hey, it's what's the novel business model, right? What's the, the new approach that you're going to use? I think that's really what we're interested in seeing when we move forward with these companies. Alex, what do you think? Do you think the internet's here to stay? <laughs> the internet? <clears throat> yeah, I'm still thinking. I'm, I'm trying to figure that one out. I like the way you put it, Dustin. Last year, I spent the majority of last year trying to tell people that Web3 is essentially a phase to the internet. A trans, it's, it's the next step, not something something does uh, or a company does. And AI is an application of a large language model, not a business in and by itself. And so I appreciate the way you stated as well. Yeah, 100%. So so it's really interesting that, that you guys are actually um, just kind of assessing companies that way. I wanted to go back to the beginning, right? I think I either heard you or Lauren say something about uh, VIPC investing in high growth companies. What, what do you define as high growth? Like, how do you, just taking a step back before we go into the internet, I do think the internet is here to stay, Nick, just, just to be clear. Take for the day. I hope there's a, a few changes around how the internet works functions and how it processes information and people's information, but but we could talk about that at a later point in time. So so Dustin, coming back to you, um, high growth, like what does that mean for VIPC? Yeah, it's a great question, Alex. So I think the way we define high growth is a company that has a growth model that is sticky, right? That when they've got either a good channel distribution, partner distribution, that it really becomes a, a necessity for companies to have in order to either uh, create more revenue or brings more money into their pockets. So when we look at deep tech, um, you know, a company that we just recently invested in, Applied Impact Robotics out of Sterling, Virginia, really interesting company. And the reason why we did a deep tech, and we think that's going to be a highly you know, scalable company, is because not only are they building a product, but they're also building robotic services alongside of it. 
and that these petroleum companies are going to need this robot in order to create revenue for them because of the way it, it examines the petroleum tanks and keeps them in operations, thus creating a massive amount of revenues for these energy companies. So that's the way we kind of envision it. And, you know, CPG presents a really interesting kind of use case case study for us because the way that that scales is it's, you know, a lot of brand management. You know, how do they create kind of this lifestyle brand around CPG, around frozen food or drinks? So that's something that we're trying to explore. And then, of course, you've got software as a service, you know, applications. Um, those are highly scalable, but it always depends on the channel distribution and the partner distribution and how their sales are working out. So that, that's kind of the way we look at high growth here in Virginia, at least from our angle. That's awesome. I'm, I'm glad you touched on that. I was just going to say, um, from a high growth perspective, one of the things that, that I experience is people only consider technology. I shouldn't say only, but for the most part, see technology companies as high growth. And, and I love the fact that you guys are actually seeing the, the gamut, right, from CPG to warehousing. Obviously, all of them have a technology aspect to mm -hmm. it. But the fact that you guys are interweaving a lot of CPG or basically like these more stable companies into high growth is awesome. From that perspective, do you think, I, I got asked this question yesterday and I couldn't answer it, but what are the most common industries that you see in Virginia, like the, the high growth industries that, that you see in Virginia, right? I told this person services, service companies are what I see most. Um, it's probably only because that's the space I play in, but what what are you guys seeing in terms of of growth service or growth industries in in Virginia? Yeah, I, I think you know number one for us is cybersecurity. I think that is just such a large breadth of a market. Be it the Department of Defense, their concerns around cybersecurity, and corporations and their needs when it comes to cloud computing and the cybersecurity that comes around that. We're you know multi-factor authentication these individual keys for security. I think over a quarter of our portfolio companies, and we have a very large portfolio, I think over a quarter of them are cybersecurity companies. And we see a huge gravity well of cybersecurity in Northern Virginia. I, it's just the, the nature of it, right? And it's because of the Department of Defense up there. So outside of cybersecurity, what we're also seeing is we see a really burgeoning supply chain and logistics industry because of the Port of Virginia, you know, Newport News and Norfolk being what they are and just kind of that natural fit. And then we've got 95 and 64 of these two major corridors intersecting in Richmond. And because of that, you know, the freight uh, that runs through Richmond. So we're seeing a kind of growing supply chain and logistics technology ecosystem starting to kind of grow and expand. Last question, and Lauren, I'll hand it over to you, but um, this is where... I just asked too many questions, but so obviously cybersecurity and Nova, Newport News, like kind of, what is it? Like the, the Tri-Cities have supply chain because of the ports. What do you see in Richmond or, or what do you, what would you tell somebody that is interested in creating a new startup or a new company in Richmond? Like what, what industry would you focus on just to get the most support? Yeah. So I think obviously the biggest fit here in Richmond is the foodie scene. I think CPG companies are great for Richmond. We've got a pretty good foundation. I think of Hatch is, is an awesome foundation here in Richmond. So CPG company, I, I, Nightingale ice cream sandwiches are just exploding. I think their biggest sales happen in Texas. So I think of companies like that, and that's just a really good fit here in Richmond. 
because of our cultural fit of food. Like people love food here. I would also say fintech is kind of a growing ecosystem here in Virginia. I think a lot of that stems from the fact that Capital One has that West Creek campus. It's the largest employer here in Richmond. And we see a lot of spinouts um, from there based off of fintech. So I think that's another growing ecosystem. And then another one that I think is growing is kind of the biotech life sciences, just because of MCV and VCU. And I believe that Richmond was just awarded grant money from the federal government to kind of build out that biotech life sciences foundation here, entrepreneurial ecosystem. And I think they're also up for competition around AI too. So what we're seeing those three, I think are the biggest ones here in Richmond. That's awesome. Two tangents, but my daughter loves going to a place called Partywood. She calls Hardywood West Creek oh. Partywood, <laughs> which is very appropriate. And she likes going because of the Nightingale ice cream. So they have those ice creams and, and that's the only place she thinks they serve them. <laughs> so she's like, on Saturday afternoon, she's like, Dad, are we going to Partywood today? <laughs> I was like, oh, this is so appropriate. Dude, you got to sell that um, to them. They got to trademark that. That's a really good Oh my idea. gosh, it's so fun. Yeah. My friends come over and they're like, what is Partywood? And I'm like, Hardywood. And they're like, oh. <laughs> so yeah, so so that's that's awesome. Thanks thanks for sharing that insight. Yeah, and I do believe Activation Capital um, has led some of the rounds for that like yeah. uh, biotech uh, investment from the state, which is, which is really, really cool. I'm excited to see where that goes. Um, on the AI front, I believe we were not shortlisted, and and um, that's that if if that's the situation that you were talking about, but that's that's a little bit of an unfortunate news that oh, we we'll uh, keep that. pushing. But yeah. it's it's a little sad, but yeah. yeah, Lauren, I don't I don't know. I mean, I I obviously have a lot more questions for Dustin, but I'll I'll let you yeah, moderate. Yeah, Dustin, my only uh, one of my questions was just going to be like in the span of your career and the span of the work that you guys do over there. How has the tech scene evolved in the past couple of years? Like we had Web3, we have AI, but what kind of, how has Virginia changed? How has Richmond changed? Yeah, so I want to, I'll preface this with my career in venture capital is very short so far. So, you know, I can speak intelligently to uh, what I've seen, though, um, as far as the changes, just because COVID COVID was a massive um, hit to the, you know, the macro economy. Um, that was not an idiosyncratic thing. Um, so I think Richmond itself has seen a large influx of, of a population of people moving from Northern Virginia, New York, you know, the North, Northeastern. So we've seen a huge influction of talent here. Um, and so that's really actually led to a lot of companies starting up. I will say post-COVID though, it's been tough for these companies to raise rounds. And I think that's been the biggest change that we've seen within the last two years. You know, during COVID, it was really easy for companies to get high valuations and, and really large rounds. But now because of interest rates and the way private markets are reacting to those interest rates, we're seeing that these rounds are taking a little bit longer to kind of coalesce. So it's taking them longer. However, what I've seen with the companies here is that a good company, a great company will always be able to close around. And that's because they got a great idea, a good team around it, and they've got demonstrated product market fit and traction with their customers. A great company is always going to be able to close. Uh, that's just the bottom line. A great company is going to be able to efficiently use its cash. You know, so that's the bottom line. When it comes to Richmond and what I've seen when I've been in and out of Richmond, 
It's been amazing. It truly has been changed. One thing you didn't mention there is I didn't hear you say you need to have revolutionary tech or you need to have, you know, brand new, innovative, never before seen tech behind what you're doing. Um, you're highlighting fundamentals, which I think people just, you know, go right over that. And you're just talking about great companies with great ideas and great teams. Seems pretty simple. Yeah. I, and I think that's something that definitely gets glossed over. Um, you know, it's the blocking and tackling, right? It is. It's just that simple stuff of what does my organization look like? You know, who am I surrounding myself by with? What do I not know? And how do I fill in those blanks with my team? And then what will my team look like a year from now? And then how do I get to those metrics that I've promised investors? And then also, you know, I know it's tough because CEOs at the early stage are really just in knife fights. You know, they're in a phone booth and they're just having this knife fight in a phone booth and they're just trying to get through the day. So I think it's really, really important for CEOs to be able to pull out, you know, for a little bit and kind of look at the macro picture of what their company is, what they want their company to be. And that helps them develop those vision statements and their mission and kind of develop those relationships outside of it. So it is, uh, when it comes to times like right now, it's all about the fundamentals. It truly is. So on that note, Dustin, one of the things that I've spoken to investors about is you said a good company will always be able to raise money, which is very, very true, right? Like solid fundamentals, perfect. What about companies that that raised a lot of money during COVID, pre-COVID with lower interest rates that are now basically looking to recapitalize? Do you see a lot of that in Richmond? And how do you approach those organizations? Yeah, so I think that's a really good question. So, you know, we have got, you know, these really large rounds that happened in COVID with really high valuations. I think that the new saying is like the new high valuation is a flat round, right? The new... The down round is a flat round now, right? And a flat round is now the high up valuation. So we've seen a lot of flat rounds lately with those companies that raised large capital at large valuations. And they're doing these bridge rounds um, that are flat valuations. And that's the kind of the way we've seen these companies adjust to the new uh, the new market. Uh, thank you. Um, I, yeah. I, and, and last question, and again, I, I could go on and I go down these these tangents, but so would you encourage somebody, uh, I've, I've spoken to a lot of founders and, and they're afraid to basically go out for more money. I mean, those that have to, have to, but they don't want to go for a flat round. They don't want to go for a down round. So, so if I hear you correctly, it's like, hey, listen, don't be worried about that right now. Get the cash you need to get the, the product advanced or, or get the cash that you need to basically further your, your, your sales. Um, but don't be afraid of that is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, don't be afraid. Yeah, if you if you need uh, an inflection, of, if you need an influx of cash, go and raise. But I think the biggest thing that we see with some of these early stage companies is that you know maybe not the not so good companies they won't be able to speak to why they need the cash, right? Of how the equity raise is going to get them to those new metrics, what that burn rate looks like, and what that runway looks like. So I think especially for these companies, don't be afraid to raise. It's just that I think it's good to have an idea of how much I need, you know, what is a great amount and what amount do I actually need in order to get through and get these metrics and then be able to prove that you are efficient at, you know, taking the cash and returning that cash with revenue and growth. That's awesome. So you talked about Richmond being a foodie scene. Mm -hmm. I want to finish this podcast off and I want to pitch a, a, an experience truck. 
in South by Southwest that Nick has, has concocted. So we'll talk about that later. But before we go there, I'm kidding. It's, it's, it's an idea of mine. Before we go there, as you go out into Richmond, what are your coolest, like what are the spots that you like doing deals in, like meeting? Obviously, Gather's one of them. Gather's awesome. But yeah. outside of Gather, if you're like, meet me here, like where, as, as kind of like an investor, where do you go? Like what restaurants, what bars, what, what, what locations are your favorite hotspots? I mean, my favorite bar of all time here is the locker room. I, I just, I know that's like a hot take. But, I mean, I love the locker room. It's just a really great bar. Franklin Inn is always a go-to. It's just such a great vibe at Franklin Inn. Uh, Joe's is just an institution. Um, you can't go wrong with someone coming out of town, taking them to Joe's. When it comes to like, if I'm getting coffee with somebody, Honestly, the best place I like to meet is Ironclad, a new coffee shop that just opened up on Hull Street, Gold Line Community Cafe. Great spot. Where is that in Hull Street? That's that's my spot. Yeah, I think it's right right before you hit Cowardin. So I think it's almost 12th oh, wow. or 10th in Hull. Yeah, 10th oh, okay. in Hull Street. Towards the city. But... Yeah, it's right next to Red Hibachi. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, really good spot. It's it's awesome. It's I think they're going to be doing some shows in there. They're trying to open it up for a late night spot too to kind of have some karaoke. I mean, if anybody remembers the old Crossroads, and Crossroads is still amazing. I, I get their hot Thai coffee all the time. Uh, but Crossroads used to have the karaoke, you know, on Wednesdays and stuff like that. That's what kind of Gold Line is trying to do now as well. But that's, I love doing coffee meetings there. That's that's a go-to. And sometimes on LinkedIn, I will pop it up. I'll say, hey, if anybody wants to come meet me, I'm going to be at Gold Line for a few hours or, you know, Ironclad for a few, a few hours, please just Swing on by. We'd love to chat and see what, what see what's going on with you. I have never been to Gold Line, but yeah. I am going to hit this. Yeah, I mean it. It is on my on my places to visit now. Yeah, um, there's there's a place there. Um, that's right. There's a bike rental place right there. Nick, let's let's hang out there one day. Dustin, you're more than welcome to stop by and visit us. <laughs> oh, absolutely. We'd love to. <laughs> we'll message you on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Nick, do you want to <laughs> wrap us up with one last question? Yeah, I have something that kind of came across my desk and actually courtesy of Alex, but it's in the in the tech space and Dustin, I imagine it's going to start hitting your desk in terms of companies applying, but OpenAI came out with this uh, kind of GPTs, this new concept of creating customized bots um, that anybody mm -hmm. can create for business purposes internally, for, for making money on your own, for entertainment value. You can kind of use ChatGPT to customize your own bot or, or it's called GPT. So they're anticipating this entire ecosystem around it of content creation, of businesses, um, of internal functions and, and internal services happening uh, among companies. Have you heard of that at all? Are you now anticipating that you're going to start to see a bunch of GPTs based companies coming across your desk? Hey, we've got the new GPT or we've got a, a creative use of it. Um, and, has that hit your wire? Uh, actually, Nick, yeah. Um, just the other week, I was at uh, Lighthouse Labs and I was talking to uh, Jay Long from Parlay Finance. He was part of their recent cohort. And he was talking about this company um, that essentially is like, hey, we want to see what your workflows look like. And then we'll go through ChatGPT or uh, OpenAI with the GPT and create a, a bot that does that workflow for you. Um, so that's really interesting. I think it's an interesting concept. I don't know if that's a business model per se of like, hey, let me look at your workflow. I think that's going to be something that really talented tech engineers will be able to do with it, you know, in-house, right? And maybe that's just, uh, you know, 
an analyst position that's just kind of doing that, right? Creating the bots for workflows, you know, in-house of an, in, you know, within a company. But it is, it's interesting and I've heard of that. So I'm, I'm really kind of excited to see that because, I mean, when it comes to applications we receive, you know, generating the emails and, and going through and ensuring that everybody's aware and sharing the information of these companies that are applying to us, it is a workflow. So anything that we can automate to kind of help people peel back a little bit and do like more larger creative thinking, I think is always well worth the investment. Yeah, I think, uh, Dustin, one of the thing, one of the observations that I made is, um, I think it was last week, Nick, when I don't know if you and I spoke or you saw some, some of the stuff I posted, but um, GPT uh, released, chat GPT released the ability to basically read PDFs and basically dissect PDFs and upload documents and read PDFs. And, and in doing so, they essentially killed an entire ecosystem of small companies that were basically generating $3 per user per month, right? So some of these mm -hmm. companies were making five, six, $7,000 a month reading GPT files. And so, so chat basically released the ability to upload a document and all these companies just went by like overnight. Um, so a lot of investments just kind of died. So coming wow. back to your original statement, which is like, we want people to actually build businesses, not just applications on top GPT. I think what OpenAI did, and I think they released this uh, last night or yesterday during OpenAI Dev Day, they basically created an ecosystem, much like the iOS Apple Store, where, where developers can now basically build, post, and share these GPTs within um, OpenAI's ecosystem. So now it's a very similar or parallel play to what apps, uh, the App Store is. I think it's brilliant, right? Because it means OpenAI doesn't have to build everything, but they could still profit from it. And I think you're going to see a smaller ecosystem of much, much like the App Store was in the 2000, whatever, 10s. You're going to see a lot of that start happening with GPT now, which is, I mean, I think it's fascinating. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point, Alex. Yeah, I definitely, I'm excited to see how that happens. All right. Well, then I think that means we've got our topic for next time we have Dustin on. <laughs> yeah. Dustin, I want to just thank you again for joining us today and sharing your expertise and your insight. It's been awesome to talk with you. And yeah, I guess we'll talk soon. Yeah, thank you so much. Really appreciate everything that y'all do. It, it really does mean a lot to the ecosystem. So thank you. 